I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Enoro Fernando, Global Head of Medical Device Security at UL. So, Enora, you've been working on healthcare and especially medical device cybersecurity issues for a very long time. What are some of the latest or emerging cybersecurity issues involving medical technology that are most concerning to you right now, especially as we're dealing with the global pandemic and why? Sure, Marianne. So, you know, as most of us have, have really taken note of, the pandemic has caused people to kind of switch their mode of interaction from face-to-face to, you know, using technology to interact with each other. And that's been particularly pronounced in healthcare because of, you know, the obvious issues of, of people that are not well, you know, having to go to healthcare facilities like hospitals and so forth. And so that's really driven the use of video conferencing technologies, telemedicine tech technologies, et cetera, in a way that, that we had no way of, of previously predicting. And along with that, you know, come a lot of other utilities that might go along with that, like file sharing capabilities and web portals and, and you know, a variety of other technologies that, that really facilitate that non-face-to-face healthcare interaction. Now, what that's really done, you know, is, is that's really exponentially increased is it has increased the attack surface of our healthcare infrastructure just by virtue of, of all the new technologies and the technology stacks associated with the solutions um, that could be exploited. And you know, we've seen that supply chain attacks, you know, where you start to take a solution and break it down into its, its parts and components, where threat actors really go after specific technologies that might not be well protected. Those are the kinds of things we've been seeing you know, happening in, in healthcare recently. And, and that's really uh, a big area of concern is just how expansive the attack surface has become for healthcare when dealing with remote medicine, telemedicine and so forth to help solve pandemic concerns. And so, Nora, when it comes to the supply chain and the vulnerabilities that we're seeing, whether it's Log4j or any of the other vulnerabilities that we've seen along the supply chain over the last few months, what is most concerning to you? What do you think the healthcare sector needs to do to sort of address these issues better? There are a number of different things that can be done. You know, first and foremost is to practice basic cybersecurity hygiene if you're not already, particularly when we're talking about new emerging technologies that are supporting remote healthcare and and so forth. We see that there is a mix of regulated and unregulated technologies in this space. And with the regulated technologies, there are some pretty obvious or mandated types of things that have to be done uh, with regard to complying with certain standards, meeting certain uh, baselines and, and benchmarks for security and, and having you know, a minimum set of security controls in place. When you start looking at the unregulated space in, in, this, uh, in this domain, we see that there aren't necessarily as, as many drivers to, to help manufacturers understand or even to com- compel them to engage in some of these best practices. So when we look at standards, you know, there are fairly prescriptive standards that tell you how to 
build in you know certain types of security controls, um, even how to implement them you know in fair detail, how to test to make sure they're working, and so forth. And so what manufacturers can do is instead of looking at these standards as sort of gates that they have to pass, um, actually incorporate them early in their product concept phase, design and development, so that the best practices that are captured in these standards, the security controls that are, are outlined in them and so forth, they can actually start to integrate those into their design and development so that they come, come out with uh, security baked in instead of bolted on later as an afterthought. So, Inora, when it comes to medical device makers sort of baking in security in their products or any other medical technologies, for that matter, baking security in, what are some of your suggestions for how manufacturers could improve the security of their products? For instance, are there certain areas of security controls that are often lacking or weak? What are some of the areas that need more attention, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, we've gotten to a point uh, as an industry where a lot of manufacturers understand that they need to have some some basic things like, you know, authentication and authorization and encryption of data and you know, protection of PII and PHI or sensitive data, you know, those types of things. Where we're starting to see um, still some, some lack of awareness across the industry is the, the notion of integration. So whether you're integrating you know, a component into a device or whether you're integrating multiple different you know, software as a service type solutions, SaaS solutions, uh, and so forth, we see that that, that integration is, is often where some level of breakdown can occur. Now, there are business constructs in place, things like service level agreements and, and so forth that, that drive some of the the behavior at those interfaces. But often when you start getting into contracting and contract language and so forth, there are there's still a lot of areas that, that need to be better addressed. And whether you're talking about buying a component and integrating it into your product or whether you're talking about subscribing to software as a service, the differences in security posture of the, the vendor-purchaser relationship um, can really start to open up some of those cracks and expose some vulnerabilities that threat actors can go right after. And so starting, you know, at some very high level, you know, quality management system type type concepts in this area, um, making sure that that um, service level agreements are well written, that the contracting language is technical and clear, and then starting to implement um, consistent and compatible security controls from both the vendor side and the purchaser side, uh, I think will be key to, to addressing these you know, complex system integration issues. So, Nora, in 2018, the Food and Drug Administration issued draft guidance recommending that medical device makers provide a cybersecurity bill of materials for their products. There's been a lot of talk in the Biden administration also about a software bill of materials that would be mandatory for contractors to provide government agencies about components in their products used by the government. When it comes back to the FDA, a final version of their guidance has not been issued yet. There's talk about it possibly being worked on for a new draft. But bottom line, do you think a software bill of materials 
requirement for medical device makers would help healthcare entities better manage the security risks that these products pose in their organizations and why? Absolutely. You know, I don't think it applies just to government procurement. I think across the board and across all critical infrastructure sectors, having a software bill of materials is really a critical part of the overall solution. And the reason for that is when you generate a software bill of materials, what you're really doing is you're identifying very specific parts of the overall architecture of the system where vulnerabilities, whether they're pre-existing and maybe even more importantly, when there are new vulnerabilities, you know, that first emerges zero days and then uh, sort of become known vulnerabilities in the CVE databases and things like that, or the National Vulnerability Database, those start to become sort of the table stakes for what needs to be addressed uh, to ensure a good security posture. And so having a software bill of materials where you have the ability to then correlate these known vulnerabilities that, that show up when you do vulnerability scans and things like that, hopefully periodically on your product, they can then be correlated to specific software components. And here's the, the really important part. You know, a lot of people think that there's a, a, a huge business cost to this, and, and there is some business cost, of course, but that can be minimized by doing good threat modeling. So if you have a really robust threat model that models the system, down to the same level that the software bill of materials is broken down to in, in terms of defining software components. Now you have a tool that you can use to determine if a known vulnerability is actually an exposure or not. And having a technically strong defensible way to determine if a vulnerability is in fact an exposure or can be well justified that it's not, can have not only a huge economic impact, that can be very useful in driving technology integration you know, as these systems become more complex, like we were just talking about. And Anora, when it comes to a security bill of materials, how granular do you think they should become? How detailed? What sort of information is pertinent and what becomes clutter after a while where it come, becomes even harder, perhaps, for a healthcare entity to sort through this and figure out exactly what they're dealing with? So that's one of those questions that, that results in an answer where you say it, it depends, but I'll qualify that a little bit. You know, depending on how you architect your medical device or your system, uh, you can actually come up with a security architecture framework that could prevent you from having to uh, break down a software bill of materials to the nth degree of granularity because you can have higher level components defined that may not be at the same level of description of how the NVD, for example, calls out vulnerabilities uh, relative to specific software components. But you would at least need to know where those vulnerabilities become relevant in the system. And so ideally, um, if you, you know, take that type of architectural approach out of the equation, ideally you would want to decompose the software bill of materials to the same level of granularity at which you're looking at the vulnerabilities that come from sources like the National Vulnerability Database so that you can have that one-to-one -one mapping and be able to see pretty quickly in your system where those vulnerabilities may or may not have impact when it comes to 
patient safety, patient security, effectiveness of the device, essential performance, and all those kinds of things that we're worried about from a, a patient safety point of view. And finally, Anora, when it comes to medical device cybersecurity issues this year, what else are you keeping your eye on closely? Yeah, so very closely tied to the notion of, of SBOM and so forth is uh, threat modeling. And threat modeling has been done for a while by, by some companies, and there are a lot of different tools, you know, open source things, um, methodologies that are widely known and so forth. But not a lot of companies necessarily spend a lot of time and, and focus on, on doing robust threat modeling. Part of the challenge, I think, is going to be helping companies understand that doing good threat modeling upfront can pay dividends from a business point of view. Um, also, from a technical point of view, uh, when you start to do integration, if you have a good threat model, then you know your, the cybersecurity posture of your technology. And it becomes much easier then to integrate and in cases where maybe vendors or suppliers um, may not have as mature of a cybersecurity posture, you can actually come up with uh, architectural approaches to minimize the risk as you onboard and integrate the kinds of technologies you might need to implement the full solution. So again, you know, FDA has been really promoting threat modeling more. We have standards uh, that, that have a lot of the, the integral elements of, of threat modeling and can be used by industry. So really raising that awareness and helping industry understand how important threat modeling is to managing vulnerabilities, both during development and in the field. It's just critical. Thank you very much, Nora. I've been speaking to our Nora Fernando of UL. I'm Marianne Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.